0: If you were with us last year, you know that we were looking at the Gospel of John, and we made it through the first 11 chapters, and so we're going to pick that up. So if you've got a Bible, turn to chapter 12 of John's Gospel, and uh, we're going to read from there. Um, While you're turning there, a few things, I think, to maybe get us going and to... um, Does anybody... uh, uh, Caroline, can I use your watch? Sorry, that way everybody in this room will love you if you let me use that watch. That means I'm not going too long. Um, so, do you mind? Okay, great. Um, thanks, I appreciate it. If while you're turning there, if you would, I wanted, to, um, I wanted to say that John, as we looked at all last semester, he really wants you to believe in Jesus. See, what's interesting about John is John is not a sort of find-your-own-spirituality, find-your-own-path sort of writer. Rather, he really is writing with a bias. He He is not unbiased. He wants you to believe. But in order to believe, John knows something about us, and that is that we need reasons to believe. And so therefore, throughout all of his gospel, John has put on display who Jesus was, what was he like, Who, what, what sort of person was he? He puts also on display what Jesus does, what happened with his life and his death. Then also, he tells us about what Jesus taught as well, that is, the message that he came to bring. And I just want to say all semester long, we're going to continue in that. Now, listen, I hope you'll come back because we're going to look at it. We're going to continue to unfold and take a look at this as the most controversial person in all of human history, this man named Jesus called the Christ. And so, I want you to feel like you can bring your friends back. I want you to come back and enjoy it and to find fellowship and community here and to learn as well, especially if you have friends who are curious about who Christ is. I think this will be a great couple of weeks for you to bring them so they might be able to learn more about uh, what Christianity is all about. Before I read, one question. How do you know what you are devoted to? How do you know What you are devoted to. Now, I'm not asking what it is, and I don't mean devotion in some sort of exclusively religious sense. I'm just asking how do you know what you're devoted to? And we are about to read tonight of a woman who shows. puts on display devotion. Her name is Mary. We heard about her when we last left off. Her brother had died. Jesus had brought him back from the grave. His name was Lazarus, as we read about in John chapter 11. And now we are coming to see Jesus meeting Mary once again in our text. So That's where we're at today. Let's turn our eyes to the page and read. Six days before the Passover, Jesus... Uh, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner for him there. Martha served, this another the other sister of Lazarus, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it. The day of my burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now we're skipping over to verse 23 of the same chapter. John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. If you would, would you pray with me as we learn about God and ask him to help us as we understand his word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken to us and we ask now that you would, by your Spirit, open our hearts and open our ears that we might understand you. Lord, I pray that you would be with me, that I would speak clearly and that my students, these friends, would uh, understand. That, Lord, that you would, as we say often, that you would deliver a straight blow with a crooked stick and that you would open up our eyes. Oh, Lord, would you pierce us tonight to show us the real beauty of Jesus for who he is and what he has done. We ask that you would do that. We need to hear from you, we pray. In your name, amen. Well, um, entering into this final week of Jesus' life is how John chapter 12 opens up. John's focus now has shifted from his entire life, from John 1 to John 11, and now in John 12 to John 21, We get, it's like one week. Isn't that amazing? That all of that space is spent on one week of Jesus' life. And the shift now changes. The focus really shifts to hearing and to seeing with the events around Jesus' life. And we saw from our reading that Jesus said something amazing. And he told us what life would be like if you wanted to follow him. You see, the miracles are over. He's not going to do anymore. I mean, of course, he's going to raise from the dead, which is huge, of course. But he's not doing them anymore. And he's focusing now on what life is after him life following him will look like and he says these very controversial words he says this if you want to keep your life you must lose it you must lose it and if you think in keeping your life that you will keep it you won't you will lose it what in the world is Jesus talking about Jesus is saying this if you want to live you must you must die Now, of course, Jesus is not talking about here some sort of physical death because he later says, you know, this idea about serving him. But he is talking about death of another kind. He is talking about death that when pursued, here it is, y'all, paradoxically produces life. If you want to know real life in this world and in the one to come, there is only way, there's only one way you must lose your life, says Jesus. Think about it like this. Um so I get my water. Um, it's the most counterintuitive thing, really, because the thing that you think would bring about death is going to bring about life, Jesus says. Now, I've never been up to the, um, up to the border waters up around Minnesota. Some of you may have been up there or from there. But um, one of the things that's really interesting about that is uh, one of the biologists or ecologists who, who works the, in that area up there, he says when people canoe the boundary water areas... Boundary Water Canoe areas and see all of these beautiful forests. Every one of those forests was started with a fire. I found it to be really interesting. Started with a fire. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this. He's saying, the thing that you think that would kill off a forest is the very thing necessary to make it bloom and go. Apparently, as biologists would tell us, that that uh, these seeds that remain dormant, the only thing that actually will open them up is intense heat to pop them open to begin new birth and new growth. And that's what it means when it says that the boundary waters are filled with forests, filled with forests that were started with fire. Now, why do I say that? It's just a picture to kind of show you all this, that the principle is, is that death, it's through death that life is had. And the same applies to what Jesus is saying. So here's the question. I think this, that Mary is putting on display in this very act the principle that follows later that we saw in the later verses. That she is showing us what it looks like to lose her life. How does she do that? Well, we see it primarily in her devotion. That's why I raised the question earlier as we began. And I think that Mary is going to show us this wonderful picture of what it looks like to be devoted to Jesus. Tonight, we're going to look at that. Tonight, we're going to look at this thing called life and death. And we're going to see it really through three main points. And that is primarily the fact of devotion. Secondly, a counterfeit or an imposter to devotion. And then thirdly, we're going to take a look. Excuse me. Thirdly, we're going to look at the cure or the cure for devotion. So let's take a look. First of all, this fact of devotion. Turn your eyes with me there to this first few verses in this chapter, we learn that Jesus has come into the house of three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they're throwing a meal for her. And as they're eating, Mary takes this expensive jar of perfume. It says that it was worth three... Um, well, Judas says that it was worth a 300 denarii. Now, a denarii is about a day's wage. So imagine taking... 300 days wages almost a year's worth of work and spending it on anything on anything a year's worth of your salary after you back out vacation days right that's basically what this amounts to so we see whatever she is doing she is doing something profoundly costly but what she does is she takes this oil she cracks it open she begins to wash jesus's feet now if you were a part of the ancient near east culture in that day where they didn't have tennis shoes, right, and dust was everywhere, that your feet were funky. They were nasty. Worse than yours are now. I don't know how bad yours are, but Jesus would have been nasty and filthy. And here Mary takes this expensive jar of perfume that fills the air with, with its smell. A beautiful, pleasant smell. She's using it to wash his feet. But that's not all. Did you notice what she is washing his feet with? hair. Now in those days, it would have been entirely scandalous for a woman to let her hair down in the presence of a man like that. And it would have been also entirely scandalous for a man to let a woman do that to to himself. Here's the point. Mary is spending all that she's got on him. And what this is telling us is that she is saying there is nothing that is beneath me when it comes to spending myself on you, Jesus. Do you see what I'm getting at there? She is saying that I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the culture says. You are worth it. You are worth it to me. I will, cry, I will give you my greatest gifts. I give you all that I am before you. And I bow down and I wash and cleanse your feet because of who you are. Now we're going to see who he is in just a moment but I think we need to pause there for just a second. What she is showing us is that she gave herself in devotion to Him because, motivated from the interior, she adored Him. You see, we will always devote ourselves to whatever it is that we adore. Some have heard me say this before, whatever the heart loves drives the life. Does that make sense? Whatever captures your heart is going to drive, it's going to be the motor of the way that you live out and flesh out your life. Now, that's really very popular in our culture. We, we see that everywhere, that all of us are living for something. All of us are driven unto something. And some of these things end up being entirely futile, but not Mary. Not Mary, y'all. I don't know how many of y'all saw the Golden Globes on um, Sunday night. I'm not, I didn't watch all of them, but I watched a little bit of it. And uh, my favorite part, uh, maybe you guys saw this, one of my favorite parts was when um, uh, uh, Jim Carrey came up to give his uh, speech to, to hand over the, I think it was for like movie for best comedy or whatever. And if you didn't get to see it, I just want to read you the transcript of when he came out. And I want you to read, I want, you to, I want to set it up. He is being entirely sarcastic. He is being he is dogging on the culture that is hollywood and the elitism that is in hollywood and the sort of chase the journey to try to make a great name for yourself by being in the hollywood film industry if you know anything about jim carrey and his life he's has seen he would say over and over again i've had a million i've had millions of dollars i've had fame and it, it has not it has not fulfilled me And so now he's standing before at the podium, and the announcer has just said this Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome two time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. And everybody goes, shh. And he walks out, and with this turd eaten grin on his face, he just smiles real big, and he's like this He says, Thank you. I am two time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And this is where it gets real interesting. Still with a smile on his face, smiling as big as he ever was, he says, because then I would be enough. It would finally be true and I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. He's on national television. Dogging the very world that he was in because why? Because he knew the futility of what it meant to give a life over to something that was only going to bring about his very ruin. You see, whatever the heart adores, the life will be devoted to. And that's on display here because Mary sees something about Jesus and she's able to give Him his her all. Now, I simply want to say this to you guys. I think this drives home the very point for all of us and that is very, very simply. Listen, what I want you to see is that if you are a Christian tonight, how is your life reflecting a delight in Jesus? If you are a Christian tonight, how is your life reflecting a delight, an adoration in Jesus? In other words, how do you know what your life is devoted to? You see? You see, some of you, I think, if I've, if I've known you well enough and if, I, if I've done my homework well enough in campus ministry over the last five years, I know that some of you, are, are, you have run to broken cisterns and it has emptied you. And I, I know this because it's true of my own life. But think about this for a second. I want you to see what would you be willing to give up? What is the the costly thing that Jesus might be asking you, looking at you saying, Dear one, will you shatter this for me? Will you break this? Will you spend this on me? You see, here's what this means. What 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 will it cost you? And Mary is showing us that it costs her everything. Jesus himself says, Unless... If you want to keep your life, you'll lose it, and the only way you'll find it is by losing it. The only way you'll keep it is by losing it Think about it like this some of you to follow Jesus y'all it will mean that you break that you break literally that you that, that it's that what is broken is that is a is a dating relationship it may cost your a relationship it might because the person that you think you want to be with or that you want to, that you are with just You know it's not the right person because that person doesn't know and love Jesus. That's huge. That's massive. Some of you, it's going to cost you professionally because it means to follow Jesus, to give yourself to Jesus will cost you the higher income because of whatever sort of job it will be. Others of you, it will be costly in the sense that you're actually going to have to love people on campus that you don't want to love. Think about this. Just even being a Christian may cost you your very reputation. You see, a place like TCU, man, cool is everything. in is everything. Status is the jam. And Jesus says this, are you willing to break it at my feet? Are you willing to break it at my feet? And I want to say this. Listen, y'all. Until you're able to do that, I'm being very serious. You don't know what it means to be a Christian. You don't know what it means to be a Christian. Because Jesus himself is saying, if you want to keep your life, you have to lose it. You have to lose the thing. Anything that comes before me, it must be lost. That's the sort of devotion. It's costly, isn't it? It's costly for me too. I'm not, I'm not standing outside of this throwing any stones. Secondly, I want you guys to see this. I want you to see that this also is put on display an imposter to devotion. An imposter... To devotion. Secondly, we see here Judas. What is going on with Judas? Well, I think that Judas is showing us something something quite insightful. Do you see what he says? He looks at the money that's spent, that year's worth of wages, and he says money to be spent on the poor. I mean, hasn't she just blown a, a load of money on something that could have been used for better purposes? And then John tells us, not so fast, Judas, he he, he wasn't really concerned about the poor, was he? He was concerned about his own pocket. And he knew once that was gone, that meant he couldn't dip into it. And you see, this is something that's telling us very, very interesting here. It's showing us that there is a type, there is a type of devotion that is feigned, that is faked, that is duplicitous, that is not real, that presents and fronts is that which is good, right, true, and beautiful, but standing behind it is real evil and wickedness. In other words, what he is saying is is that I wish we could give to the poor, which looks like a really, really godly thing, which by the way really is a godly thing. The Apostle James tells us as much. But Judas is saying, oh, couldn't we just have given that money to the poor? All the while he's saying he just wanted it for himself. Do you see what's going on there? And Jesus is saying that itself is an an imposter for devotion. It may look like real devotion. Let's care about the poor. It may smell like it. It may taste like it. But at its core, it's not. How many of y'all ever seen the show Antiques Roadshow? Anybody ever seen it? Okay, cool. It's sort of an old old man show, I guess. But I like it. Uh, My friend, uh, campus minister LSU, talks about it a lot. And uh, he he shared this story with me I thought was great. He says some of the greatest things about that show is, is like when somebody who just brings something in, right, and they're like, sir, do you know what you have? Y'all know what it is? It's like, you know, it's basically these people. Yeah, they they they, they know. It's a, it's an object. It's an antique. They're trying to figure out how much it's worth. And somebody assesses it, and they're like, sir, madam, do you know what you hold on to? Your? And he's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just been in our coffee room for... Four generations. I don't even put my feet up on it. You know what I mean? They're like, sir, this is an ottoman from like King Henry VIII's personal, you know, bedroom, and it is worth three point seven million dollars. He's like, well, I didn't know that. You know what I mean, or whatever. And the and the picture is, is that you're blown away by seeing this thing that's really, really worth and value. He said, but also, the even better, is the people who walk up in there. And they're all snooty and pretentious, thinking they have something. They're like, oh no, this is like a, you know, this is like the real Mona Lisa or whatever, you know. (laughs) And the funny thing is, is like when the people look at it and there's something, they're like, they're like, sir, I'm sorry, you have like a $1.99 replica. You have like a $1.99. It's a fraud. It's not real. And what Jesus is saying and what, John is telling us that our faith can be like that. That it can look like it on the outside, but what it is on the inside is fraudulent. That there's no substance to it. So, how can you tell the difference? If one thing looks like this, and it looks like this, and they're the same, where's the difference lie? And that's where the text is telling us over and over again, Throughout the Gospel of John, we say that this is where the heart really matters. It's what the heart goes after. It's what do you adore? What do you love? You see, Judas didn't care for the poor. Who did he care for? Judas. He cared for himself. And what he was doing was he was floating around this religiosity, this hypocrisy, in the name of true and pure religion. Now, if you think that you're outside and beyond the pale of this. Can I press in a little bit? Look what verse 4 says. Did you catch it? Did you catch what he said? He said this. He said, but Judas, one of what? His disciples. One of his disciples. You see, this is telling us that it's, we are all prone to it, y'all. We're all prone to a fake, fraudulent, and a bellyless, as it were, faith that must be fought against at every turn. Now I just want to say this tonight. I will simply say this: it's a, it's a calm, cautious, gentle warning. You cannot keep your life and try to live with Jesus. It will not go. Jesus himself says it, and here's what I mean. Some of y'all. Are trying to front Christianity you're trying to front religion you're trying to put on a show and Jesus smells it out and he says it's fake it doesn't count now I don't say that because I'm perfect that's a struggle for me as well but I want you to know the posture is real it is this is legitimate Jesus is not messing around when he's talking like this, you see. And so I just want to say, I gently want to pull us back and say, come clean, come honest, come come see that there is hope. And that is where we go now, to the cure for this misguided and broken direction. Where do we see it? Well, did you see it there in verse 7 and 8? Jesus said, leave her alone. He basically jumps all over Judas. And he says, so that she may keep it, or another translation has it like this, that leave her alone, she intended to keep it for the day of my burial. In other words, what Mary saw was Jesus' death. Now, do we know if she saw him being crucified? No, I I don't want to go that far. She just simply knows that something is about to happen to this man that will literally set her free. And it moves her to the core to begin to see that. And so she gives herself to that. And here's what I want you to begin to see tonight that the cure for our devotion is seeing what Mary saw. And what was it? It is the death of Jesus. You see this. She saw the death of Jesus for herself, she saw whatever he was doing as being her liberation and her freedom. She saw whatever he was about to go through as being the very thing that would set her free. And so that is why she's able to break... You see, here's how it goes. Ready? Her heart, her heart was moved by what Jesus had done for her. And when that moved her, her life now reflected it out in the way that she gave of this ointment and the way that she lived. And I simply want to say that's true for you. Here's the good news tonight, dear ones. Mary was not a perfect woman. She did not have her stuff together. She was a sinner, just like you and me. She was in need of the gospel, just like you and me. But the wonderful promise of the gospel is that Jesus comes for people who don't have it together, for people who can't keep it together, for folks like, I don't know, maybe you and me, right? And so I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what... How, you know, as I said earlier, I don't know what your break was like. I don't know what your first semester was like. But I just want to say this. Come to Jesus. He knows how to deal with your mess. And you say, well, I could never do it. I could never do it. He can't deal with me. Oh, get over yourself. Quit putting your own opinion of yourself on a higher pedestal than what Jesus thinks of you. Well, I can't do it. I mean, what if I were to screw it up? What if I were to blow it? I mean, I I just know I'll blow it. What do you mean blow it? Jesus, when He saves people, He saves them at their worst. How are you going to get worse? You see? How are you, going get, how are you going to be worse off? Jesus says, come. This is the cure for your devotion to me. Here's why. Because did you see it right there in verse 25? He says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. Dear ones, do you know how you can lose your life? Because there was one who lost his life for you. Do you know how you might be able to find your life? Because there was one who lost his life for you. And that is the profound hope of the Gospel. That Jesus Christ looks at you and He looks at me and He willingly loses His life so that you might be able to lose yours to follow Him. Listen, y'all, here's the great hope. Some of you think if I were to follow Jesus, that means it's going to take away all my fun and I'm going to have a sucky, crappy life for the rest of my life. You don't have to raise your hands, but I know you think it. And here's what Jesus is saying. You have no idea. You have no idea what it means to follow me. You think you're you're going to be bound if you hitch your wagon to me? I'm going to tell you something. You're going to know freedom like you've never known before. You're going to know freedom in ways that you couldn't even begin to imagine. So come. Come to Him. Y'all, we're going to continue to look at the Gospel of John all semester long. But here's what I want you to see. The only way that you'll ever give yourself to Him is if you first see on the cross how He has given Himself for you and how He does so willingly when you are at your worst. This is what Jesus does. Well, will you pray with me? and uh, ask God to help us remember these things. Oh Lord, help us tonight, we pray. We ask that you would make these things, and that you would take them, and that you would make them to be true for us. Lord, help us. Help us to see who you are, and draw us into yourself, we pray. In your name, amen.